Welcome to Adventures with My 40s. I'm Courtney Novak, a 41-year-old woman trying to figure out how to thrive during this decade of life. You can find the show notes at CourtneyHenningNovak.com. And here's the show. Hello, adventurers! Greetings from Berry Menopause Land. Today is day 54 of my menstrual cycle. Oh, I'm actually doing okay because thank you, Zoloft. Um, I was on 100 milligrams. I started that July 3rd. I only remember that date so well because it's the day before July 4th. I and um, my brother came to town to visit and with his family, and so people came to our house that day to swim. And I remember telling everyone, like, I just took my first dose and just, like, waiting for it to take effect. Because it can take, like, eight hours to hit your system. And and after that, I mean, it could take, like, six weeks to feel the full benefits. Um, but, you know, I, I always react pretty quickly. So, oh, hello, printer. The printer just said hello there. So I remember that date very well. I don't usually remember dates that well. But so I started there on 100 milligrams of Zoloft, and the past few days, though, I am now on 150 milligrams. 150 milligrams is was my magic dose with both kids when I had postpartum depression. It's when um, doctors don't usually start you on that high of a dose, but I was actually hospitalized after my daughter, my first child, was born. So I was in the hospital for four days, and they could do my blood pressure check and, you know, just watch me and make sure I was responding okay. So I was lucky in that I got to be on the right dose right away. Then with Julian, I started on 100 milligrams of Zoloft because my doctor, I had a new psychiatrist and she's like, let's just start there and see if it works. And it actually did work for about two and a half months. Then my insomnia and anxiety sort of kicked into high gear, um, which is exactly the same time that happened with um, Pippa. So we just bumped me up to 150 milligrams and increased my mirtazapine, which is also called Remorondose. And I slept beautifully again. And I stayed on that for, I think, at least six months to stabilize. Um, it was like, you know, it's been a roller coaster. But yeah, now I'm back on that same dose. And I do think that there's just a lot of hormonal angst going on. A friend mentioned that she knows a lot of women having irregular cycles during the pandemic, and I fully believe that. But since my mom was 41 when she started perimenopause and skipped her period for nine months, I'm inclined to believe this is more a perimenopause thing. I'm trying to take this as a wake-up call. I have been meaning for years. I've known, like, since I had postpartum depression and since I know my hormones kind of go batshit crazy and affect my mood and sleep, that I'm at risk for having, during perimenopause and menopause, with all those hormonal shifts, to experience anxiety and depression, insomnia all over again. So I've been meaning to read up on perimenopause and... Uh, you know, learn like about dietary and supplement changes I can make. But, you know, um, life is busy and there were other things to do and to learn. So I'm not beating myself up for the fact that I'm only now learning about perimenopause because we all have our own journeys and I had other shit to learn and mistakes to make and um, adventures to have. So here I am and I'm still working through The Wisdom of Menopause by Dr. Northrup, but she's got a whole section on nutrition that was very enlightening. I ordered flaxseed 
yesterday and I'm going to be trying having that every day because it sounds like flaxseed is one of those foods that I'm, I'm only learning this, you know, estrogen and uh, progesterone and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that second one correctly um, and how receptors work in the body and what parts of our body make um, hormones like I, I do I want to lose weight and I've been wanting to lose weight for years the anthem of many women but I just I learned that fat makes estrogen so if you're overweight you can be your body can be making more estrogen than you need which can lead to insomnia and anxiety so I just feel a little more motivated to stick to my healthy eating um, I've been using the app Noom N-O-O-M to um, it's been really helpful because Noom is created by, I swear I'm not paid by them, but it's created by psychologists and it has all these healthy eating tips and lessons and pop quizzes and it's funny. They quote, like, they'll reference Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. So I'm really enjoying Noom and I, I eventually want to be more intuitive eating, but this is working for me right now. You know, uh, something that I'll say again and again on the show is different strokes for different folks. Um, you know, it's, it is not one size fits all in life. It's like there's a lot of different religions, there's a lot of different parenting styles, and there's just, there's different ways to exercise, and there's a lot of different ways to eat. And so someone might swear by Kato, and someone else might swear by um, Weight Watchers, and like, that's great. There's just different things that work for people. And we all do things at our own time and our own way. Okay, so that's enough about perimenopause and Zoloft. I want to talk about neglect the housework today. I first got this idea from a book called, pardon the little sound as I pick up the book, If You Want to Write, a book about art, independence, and spirit. And I'm going to butcher this name, but it was written by Brenda Uland. That's U-E-L-A-N-D. And um, this book was written, oh my god, not a hundred years ago. Let me check the um, the copyright date. Oh crap! I mean, they're giving like 2010 because that's the read one, but I know this is more like from the 30s. She was like really ahead of her time, and she was like a writer and a journalist, and she and an editor, and she became a teacher of writing. And this book I found at an art museum in Pasadena. It's called the Norton Simon, and I had taken myself. This is way before I had kids and you know had a lovely day looking at the art and went and all by myself doing like like a me date at the art museum and I went to the gift shop and I was browsing and there's all these books about art and in the middle of them like on this table there's this book and I'm a writer and I had been avoiding being a writer most of my life and I saw that book and I like lunged for it and I was flipping through the pages and fell in love with it and I took bought it and took it home and the book I, chapter I want to talk about today has a great title it is why women who do too much housework should neglect it for their writing <sighs> and so that's what I, I have always the, the, the thing I always quote this book for to people or when I'm writing is neglect the housework it's okay to leave some dirty dishes in the sink while you take some time to write. Or it's okay if it's, you know, 
to not live up to the standards that you have internalized for what makes a clean or tidy or livable house. All right, I'm gonna read some Brenda for you. She She's talking about different students that she had who came to her class, women who had like kids and who were you know really good writers and but just didn't take the time to write. And she says, let's see, like many of the most talented and funniest people, she, the writer she's talking about, is too nice and unconceited to work for mere ambition or the faraway hope of making money. And so she has not become convinced, as I have, that there are other reasons for working, that a person like herself who cannot write a sentence that is not delightful in a circus should give some time to it instead of always doily carrying, recipe experimenting, child admonishing, husband ministering to the complete neglect of her imagination and creative power. Okay, that was like a tricky sentence to read. Um, I feel like I butchered that. Um, my apologies to my fourth grade English teacher, Miss McNamara, who used to have us memorize poems and recite. Okay, the part that I really like is that how instead of writing, she gives it to always doily carrying, recipe experimenting, child admonishing, husband ministering to the complete neglect of her imagination and creative power. Like, amen. Like, I mean, it's 2020. And I'd like to think that women are equal to men. But it's just been thousands of years of women being this, like, I don't even know if it's like a secondary class. It, it may be lower. And as, as like, person nona non existus. I just made up Latin there. And I think we just have these internalized beliefs that we women have been carrying for endless, like, just way, way going back. And, you know, it always amazes me when I think about, like, classical music, Mozart, Beethoven, Bach, you know, like, okay, Clara Schumann, but for every Clara Schumann, there's like a hundred male composers. And when you think about like the great writers. Yes, there's a lot of female writers, but there's more male writers in the past. So this is very new for women to be allowed to be creative. And I, I, I mean, obviously women are creative. We make babies. We, we make homes. We, we are creative and it doesn't have to be limited to the creativity that's been, you know, dictated to us for, for centuries. And yeah, I'd like to think like, oh, it's 2020. Like, of course, I don't have any of these internalized beliefs, but they're internalized. They're subconscious, so they're there. All right, let me read. Okay. In fact, that is why the lives of most women are so vaguely unsatisfactory. They are always doing secondary and menial things that do not require all their gifts and ability for others and never anything for themselves. Society and husbands praise them for it when they get too miserable or have nervous breakdowns though always a little perplexedly and half-heartedly, and just to be consoling. The poor wives are reminded that that is just why women are so splendid, because they are so unselfish and self-sacrificing, and that is the wonderful thing about them. But inwardly, women know that something is wrong. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God, something is wrong, because, you know, yes, to be generous is a virtue, to be unselfish is a virtue, but to be unselfish to the point where you sacrifice who you are and your right to be a person and to be a woman or to be a badass who is creative, that's, that's just, oh, I, 
I, I think that's something I've lived with all my life. And, like, self-sacrificing. I think I'm still thinking all this through. But, a, I mean, I do think that my po when I have postpartum depression, that a big part of that was hormonal. Uh, evidenced by, like, present circumstances. But I also think that the hormonal reaction was there to help me see that my attitude about motherhood and my beliefs, my subconscious internalized beliefs about what I needed to do to be a good enough mother, or not even good enough, a good mother, like good, like they talk about good enough. I, I, gosh, I forget the, the psychologist who came up with that concept, but you know, good enough as in like, you're just, you're doing your good, you're doing good enough. But you know, to be a good mother, to be an amazing mother, to be the best mother to my kids. I think I had these internalized subconscious beliefs that in order to be the mother that I needed to be, that my kids deserved, I basically had to give up my sense of self. Uh, those first months with Pippa, I didn't write. I'm a writer! I journal and I write stories and I write silly little poems that, you know, like, I mean, like, I'm not dismissing poetry, but I mean, like, kind of like Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss style shit. Like, just fun. I just write. It's who I am. And I forgot that. And I would just sit there holding her, watching her, carrying her from place to place. And I just, I completely lost my sense of self to the whole, you know, breastfeeding on demand. Like, the moment she whimpers, I would shove a tit in her face. And you know, if she cried, I I remember her, she would cry and I'd be in the shower. And it was like, you know, damn it, I'm allowed to shower. But I would just like lose my mind and I would go into anxiety mode. I can even kind of feel it like, a, like an echo of that. And that was in part, I went to anxiety land because I thought it's wrong to let my kid cry that I should be constantly available for my child and pick her up at the slightest whimper and that she should never experience a negative emotion. Well, guess what? That just is, that's like, like a recipe for raising a monster. Because if that's, like, then if, if, if Pippa was never allowed to cry as a baby, then how would she ever learn to take care of herself? How would she ever learn to handle negative emotions? And oh my God, life is full of negative emotions and we need to know how to manage them. And I'm 41 and just sort of figuring this out right now and I think that all of those underlying beliefs allowed my anxiety to go to like such a dark place that it did but you know I'm figuring this all out so I think I have a lot of beliefs that I I want to revise and change like the start of the pandemic I lost my mind constantly and I remember feeling like I was responsible for entertaining my kids pretty much all day. Like that I was supposed to replace the structure of school. And since school has all these, you know, activities built in that I was supposed to provide PE and I was supposed to provide a science experiment and I was supposed to provide an elaborate art project. And, and it meant that I didn't take care of myself until like four or five o'clock. And and then I would beat myself up like, oh, I'm not spending quality time with them because all I did was schoolwork. So that wasn't quality time. Oh my gosh. It was like the pandemic forced me to see I have this martyr version of motherhood that is not okay. It's not okay for me. It's not okay for my kids or my husband. It's just, it's like, I can't destroy myself for my kids because then I'm teaching Pippa 
when you're a mom, you have to destroy yourself. And I don't want her to destroy herself. Like, she's wonderful. She's radiant. I want her to be radiant her whole life. And if she has kids, I want her to still be radiant. And I still want her to be Pippa and do whatever it is that makes her feel happy. I mean, yes, motherhood is time consuming and hard, but I don't think it has to be the loss of self that I subconsciously thought of it as being. So there's my next book I can write. Okay, so there's this little great aside that Brenda Yulin writes in the same passage. Menial work at the expense of all true, ardent, creative work is a sin against the Holy Ghost. Oh, I love that. Whether you say Holy Ghost or God or the Divine Beloved or whoever, whatever you believe in. Oh my goodness, let's say it again. Menial work at the expense of all true, ardent, creative work is a sin against the Holy Ghost. Yes, if you are just fixated on scrubbing the tiles and making sure the floors are immaculate, you'll never get time to answer your divine call, to explore your spiritual self, to make deeper connections with people, to just live a life worth living. I mean, I always remind myself when I look at like a mess in the house, I'm like, am I going to regret that I didn't keep a cleaner house on my deathbed? Absolutely not. Am I going to maybe regret that I didn't write poetry or novels or that I didn't create this podcast or that I didn't paint? Like, yes, I would love to spend more time painting. I haven't painting something I love that has fallen on the back burner. Uh, yeah, I think I will. So I got to do that shit so I don't have regrets. I got to like answer my divine call. Be, you know, follow the path. My intuition is like clearly lighting for me instead of being like, oh, but there's like a few packages piled up by the front door. Fuck it, let there be a few packages by the front door. I'm not advocating here that you need to let your house fall into total disrepair. But I like to joke with people, you know if you're watching like a TV show and there's a foster home and the foster home always looks really shitty and like the children should not be there and they should be taken away. That's sort of like Hollywood's typical foster home, which is not necessarily how foster homes are. I know wonderful foster parents, but that's just the Hollywood standard. My goal is to make sure the house is a click above that. And that's it. I, I, I want it to be as nice as it needs to be to support my mental health. So when the kitchen table is completely wrecked and piled with shit, that just sort of I look at it and I go like, ah, and then I clean it and it feels better. But I don't need to, like the kids have toys out on their play mat. That's fine. There are... The floors are not immaculate. I, and that's fine, I still remember a commercial I saw as a kid. I shit you not. This is, I know we all did, but this is the commercial I remember. There was this mom, and she had a baby, and she was stressed, and she's like, oh my god, the moms are coming over from my playgroup, and they're going to worry that my floors are not clean enough for their babies. And then they show her cleaning the floors, and I don't know if it was for Pine Sol or, you know, what other cleaning supply at the time and they show her mopping and then she's like looking really happy and then she's they show these other moms at her house for playgroup and she's saying I was and all the babies are on the floor and she's like I was so proud when the other moms let their babies crawl on my floor I I don't know maybe if I saw it only once and it left an impression or if it was just like on constant loop before Scooby-Doo or something but that left an impression about how a 
this woman's self-worth was tied to the cleanliness and tidiness of her floor. And it's just, you know, I tried it. I mean, I don't want, like, rats in my house. I did one time go to a, um, a Super Bowl Sunday party at this house and with people who had kids, Pippa and Age, and, I mean, the floor had just food mashed into it. And, and I put Julian on the floor, and he immediately broke out in a rash everywhere, okay? If your floor is cleaner than that, you're doing okay. Look. If you put your, if a baby goes on the floor and immediately breaks into a rash, we need to talk. We got some problems. Let me introduce you to, I have this vacuum cleaner that like battery charges. It's great. But most of us aren't there. This is like the one time I've been in a house that was like absolutely so disgusting. My child broke out in a rash. But I've internalized that belief and I don't want my self-worth tied to the state of my floors. Like I've discovered, when Julian eats spaghetti and it falls on the floor, it's impossible to clean fresh spaghetti off the floor. The shit sticks to the floor. If you let it dry overnight, it's so easy to sweep up. So I look at it. And some, my brain like goes like, oh my God, the floor is dirty after the kids go to bed. And then I just say, and that's okay. The floor, we will sweep it up in the morning. I really, I don't, so I don't aim for perfection in my housework. And I'm doing this episode as much for myself as for you guys, because like there is so much more housework during the pandemic because everyone's home all the time. There's nowhere to go. And at least, you know, here in Pasadena. And for those of you who are somewhere where you don't have to shelter at home, amen, go out for me, you know, hug your friends, I love it, don't feel guilty, and you are probably dealing with your own anxieties about the pandemic, because it's just pervasive and it's all over the news and social media, so you don't need to have any guilt that I'm at home and you're not, amen, please go out there, because if your place has to like start sheltering at home and Pasadena's done, I'm going out. I'm going to the art museum and I'm having lunch with my girlfriends and having mom's night out and I'm going bowling with Nathan and I'm going to go take my kids to see all the movies when this is over. So like live it up for me. Don't feel guilty, but we're home all the time. So the kids, there's more messes out and I look at them and I start to like cringe and I'm like, oh my gosh, my poor babies, like let them play, let them, like they create these elaborate like zoo structures with a farm attached and you know, with their magnet blocks and Julian's obsessed with the animals. So they have all the plastic animals and it's like, let them, let them run wild for a few days with that. And, and when it looks like when I start to notice like that it's kind of fallen into disrepair and they aren't playing with the area, then we clean it up. Let myself not worry about how clean the house, like, like we had our, um, we do have a cleaning lady. I'm so lucky. I know I'm privileged to have a cleaning lady and she's back and that's amazing. But, and beyond that, I'll like notice like, you know, a, like a wall looks a little smudged and dirty from little children's hands and I'll think, oh, I should clean that. And I'm like, no, I shouldn't. We're not even having people over and who cares? Like, and if they notice the smudges, like that and they're critical of me that's their own problem and I'm not going to like beat myself up for imaginary guests that probably aren't coming over for a year so I just want everyone to know out there go ahead and neglect the housework and keep it you know above babies getting rashes because they go on the floor standards and you're doing okay like clean I, I, when we didn't have our cleaning lady for three months I cleaned the bathrooms every week 
and I cleaned the kitchen every week. But sometimes we went a few, I went like a few weeks before I changed the sheets. If like they didn't feel, if they felt clean, then I figured they're clean enough and no one got sick or a rash or anything. And I didn't like dust all the time. I would see a room and I would attack one room. When, when, it, when I looked at a room and said, oh, I can't stand it, then I would clean it. But I wouldn't go through the house for like two hours or more every day. You don't have to drive yourself nuts. You don't have to have the windows cleaned. Go and do, and you don't have to write, but do what your heart is begging you to do. Do what your soul, your soul's work is. Go be creative or, and, and it's whatever you want. If it's making music and, and if it's not being creative, you know, like gardening is its own joy. It's, it's what brings you joy. Go do that instead of worrying about like the smudge on your window. I'm looking at a window right now and it has got all the smudges outside and the outside window is covered in dirt and I will eventually clean it with my kids and they will think it's like hilarious fun. And you know, I want to wrap this up, but I do want to mention that all of this, these internalized beliefs about needing to have a clean house and and I know I'm not the only woman who has her self-worth tied to clean cleanliness because marketers are really smart. And the reason there was a commercial that showed this woman angsting over the state of her kitchen floor was because they know, like, this is how we get them to buy our product. Because, it, like, let's make them feel insecure and then offer them a product that will make them feel better. It's a good, it's a fun thing to watch for, like, emails with the ray lines, like, is this something that's just meant to trigger me and make me feel like shit because, you know, fuck you, I'm not buying into that. I'm not going to buy your product. I'll go buy from someone else. Or if you see like a billboard, you know, if you happen to see a commercial on TV, you're more likely YouTube these days. Just be like watching. Like sometimes it's like a great message, but sometimes it's like they're trying to make you feel bad. Like think about magazines, how many times they just like give you whiplash as you turn from page to page and it's like, you know, th those, I can't even think of an example right now. Like I'm, I'm going to Cosmo in my head, but I haven't read Cosmopolitan in years. Um, I should probably just buy one for shits and giggles and go through it and read out loud the headlines on a podcast episode. Maybe we'll do that soon. Um, but just how magazines can give you whiplash in terms of like, here's this test to identify your like, personality flaw or is he cheating or like how like like you know magazines that'll have all the spring cleaning tips because you should be spring cleaning your house and now here's the end of summer tip you know it's like oh, sometimes I just take a deep breath and remember we've been living under a patriarchy like we as in like the human species um like civilized for millennia and all of these beliefs about our worth, it, it was useful for men who wanted women to stay home and cook their food and clean the house so that they could go out and make war and write books and be politicians and uh, compose symphonies while the woman stayed at home and was told, oh no, you're, you're so amazing for making all these sacrifices and you're, you're, you're unselfish, you're such a good person. And you know what? There's other reasons. Like, I don't need, I, I'm not allowed to be selfish, selfish sometimes because like, fuck it. Like the way that women are sometimes cast and mothers as being selfish, that shit's not selfish. That shit is like just taking care of myself. You can't pour from an empty cup. And even if you don't have kids, you're still allowed to take care of yourself. You know, even if you have no one to take care of, you can still take care of yourself because like, 
you're worth it. A baby is born worthy of being taken care of and worthy of love. And that never changes. It's like it's as true for me now at 41 as it was the day I like gave, you know, I, I screamed for the first time. Um, and it's me that gets to take care of myself. It's me that gets to use my 40s to figure out how do I make my, take care of myself. It's me who gets to close the door. Okay, so I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to turn the page. There's one more quote from Brenda that, that I want to... So she says, quote Brenda here, she says, she's been talking about creativity and how, like, you know, all of this being selfless and sacrificing will leave you feeling hollow and, you know, neglecting your creativity. And she says... Okay, that is why I would say to the worn and hectored mothers in the class who longed to write and could find not a minute for it, if you would shut your door against the children for an hour a day and say, mother is working on her five-act tra tragedy in blank verse, you would be surprised how they would respect you. They would probably all become playwrights. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what I've been doing and I've been learning to do during the pandemic. I think at the beginning, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was on and I was like, you know, hunting through Pinterest for all the projects and, and, and I didn't take care of myself. And now, and I think entering the pandemic, I had always had this idea that if my kids, I was allowed to take care of myself when my kids weren't away, were, were away. So if my kids were at school or camp or if like, at their gymnastics class, class, that was when I was allowed to write. But if my kids were around, I had to be available for them. And suddenly with the pandemic and schools being closed, they're just around all the time. Actually, they're not around right now. It's um, I'm recording this on Wednesday, July 29th at 11.10 a.m. It's now. I mean, it was before that when I started, obviously. And they're at gymnastics camp. And this is the first time I've had both of them out of the house since mid-March and it's beautiful so but they're good and they have a couple more days and then they have next week but then they're back and then Pippa has distance learning so it's a long time before I have the house child free again so I'm enjoying it while I can but I've also learned through the pandemic that I have to just go take time to write when the kids are home and that they're okay with it and what's also great is when I you know I leave them alone and they'll start watching TV but then they tire of it and they turn it off and then they go play and they can play for like hours and I just have to throw food at them occasionally so they don't get hangry. So I can neglect and it's not even neglecting the children. It's letting the children have time to be play, to play, letting them have the time to ha build their imaginations, letting them have like Pippa when I'm in here and the door's closed, she will make themselves snacks and she glows with pride at having done it. So, okay, my voice is tired. So that's enough. Um, my parting words are neglect the housework and give yourself the time and space to just answer your divine call, whatever that means. All right. I hope you're all staying safe and sane during the pandemic. And I think next week I'm going to either talk about body aches and pains or about, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to talk about next week. All right. So stay tuned. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Adventures with My 40s. You can reach me through my website, CourtneyHenningNovak.com, or on Instagram at Courtney.Novak. If you're enjoying the show, subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. Have a great and wonderful week.